0: From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And joining me again this week is Peter Cohn, the budget and tax policy editor at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Pete. Thanks for having me, David. And we have a lot to chew on this week because we have a long-awaited 10-year budget outlook from the Congressional Budget Office, eagerly anticipated every year, but this this year it came really late. It usually comes out at the beginning of the year around January, but of course, we had a months-long delay because Congress was way late in approving the budget for the current fiscal year, and so it just came out now. Gives us a chance to dive in and see what kind of fiscal pressures we're facing over the coming decade. It's always a very helpful document that budget wonks uh, look at closely uh, to see what's what's facing them in coming years, and along with economic projections. Um, and I think the main takeaway, Pete, is for the immediate term, we will see a decline in the deficit, but not for long and deficits will be on the rise very quickly again because we have these structural imbalances with huge growth in entitlement programs and interest payments that we know. Um, so nothing really to celebrate, even though there's a temporary decline, a considerable decline for the coming year.
1: Uh, yeah, David. Um, before we dive into that, I just want to uh, say that uh, you know we focus on the on the numbers and and the politics and. And uh deficits and taxes and things like that a lot, uh, that that's what we do, but we uh, we really should acknowledge the horrific uh, tragedy, uh the massacre that happened in in Texas this week. It's uh, I know it's top of mind for for many of our readers and and our listeners here uh, at the budget podcast. and uh, it, it's really uh, of course dominated the week and especially for those of us with, with small children, it's uh, it's really. You know, heartbreaking, and uh, it's something that uh, you know we'll, we'll be we'll be focusing on our, our other parts of our CQ roll call coverage, dealing with gun safety. We have uh, our, many in our newsroom are, are going to be focused on this topic, and uh, of course, here at, on the budget team, we're going to be tracking what happens with the appropriations process. And there's already some bipartisan talks uh, going on. You know, hope springs eternal that uh, maybe they'll do something at least get some money out to the states for things like uh, implementing red flag laws. Um, so we'll see where that goes, but I just uh, thought we'd be remiss without acknowledging uh, the, the events of this week, which uh, are, of course, um, really, really dominated uh, the news this week. So
0: true. I mean, it's all anybody can think of in, uh, in truth. Um, it does override everything else right now. It is the main focus of Congress. And as you say, we will be looking at all of that. But um, for the moment, we did want to just focus on this budget report. So,
1: and so, David, just so just diving into that. I mean, look, the CBO out- outlook comes out twice a year. And so every time it comes out, it, it's uh, it's really important to look at because they are really the CBO really continues to be the gold standard for independent, uh, nonpartisan analysis of what is really going on. And they don't have you know, they don't have a crystal ball. The director of the CBO yesterday, for example, Phil Swagel, um, who was uh, actually named by by a, a republic by Republicans to uh, be in this post, it, it switches back and forth every time a, a new CBO director comes up. It get it sort of toggles back and forth between the, the chambers, and depending on who's in power. But Swagel was a essentially a Republican appointee signed off on by the Democrats. But in any case, he acknowledged yesterday that the report was. Delayed, but uh, even when they were, were able to wrap it up in around March, when they basically had all their projections in place and they're they're sitting down to put pen to paper, inflation had already moved ahead of what they thought was going to happen. So you know, he testified yesterday at the House Budget Committee that the report that came out this week was even a little bit behind when it comes to how how much inflation had sort of moved ahead of expectations. So it's just to give you a sense of nobody's perfect. The CBO, they get it wrong sometimes. They uh, don't have the, the most uh, detailed information in front of them at all times. But the, all that, all this is just to say that um, the CBO estimates are a snapshot in time. They are, are not finite. They're constantly evolving. The years that they look at, are they usually look at a 10-year period initially. And so things really, really just change, shift from even from within from month to month. The last time the CBO outlook came out was July of 2021, last year. Even, be, even in July, from between now and July, it was a much different world. So um, we can look at what's, what's happened since then. Inflation has just shot higher than expectations, GDP growth has cooled down to some extent. Although it's actually, if you look at the f- the, the future years in the CBO outlook, uh, it's actually even a little bit higher. And when you go out beyond 2022, 2023 23 and beyond, a little bit higher than what CBO estimated back in, in July. But, you know, you do see economic growth slowing back to kind of what it was before the pandemic over time. And, you know, people were concerned back then that, you know, we're in this sort of, stasis, this sort of economic stagnation. People like Larry Summers used to call it secular stagnation, where you had uh, low growth and low inflation. Of course, we have high inflation and potentially getting back to low growth now. So we have this term called stagflation, which was popular in the 1970s. And now that's sort of been revived now as something that we may see you know, going forward. And I, I don't think- That, that is
0: would, a scary term. I didn't think we'd be revisiting. <laughs> I don't think most of us lived through it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a brand new thing for, for most of us. Which means which means high inflation and low growth, basically, right? Essentially. Right. Exactly.
1: Now, inflation is also going to cool down according to the CBO outlook. But in the near term, which is what most of us care about, particularly voters, it's going to stay pretty pretty elevated. And so- um, you know, all of these things have an impact on the budget. And um, I think one of the major things that we saw in this report is just how strong tax receipts have been recently and are going to continue to stay kind of above trend in the in for
0: the next several years. Yeah, I wanted to get to that because you had a pretty insightful analysis, Pete, that just posted you folks can find it at cq.com. It's worth a read because you do look at the surprising increase in, in tax revenue collections, and you compare them to UFOs. Well, yeah. Explain what you mean there and what's going on. That was interesting.
1: So some of it is we can't explain it. And the CBO said that repeatedly in the report that came out earlier, earlier this week. They referred to unexplained growth in tax revenue. So they essentially don't have an answer to big chunks of what happened with the uh, the increase in, in, uh, in their estimations of, of tax receipts. Uh, some of it, you, some of it, they could explain. You know, you, you, they look at, again, economic growth up, inflation. Inflation has an impact on on tax receipts because you have wages up, profits are up, and so when you have higher inflation, you have more income and m- more income being
0: taxed, essentially, right? So, well, that you would expect. I mean, that w- you would expect some increase. That's part, yeah. So that's part of it. Another part of it are technical factors.
1: In fact. They found that they're actually U.S. government is actually collecting more revenue from corporate overseas profits than they had expected previously. So things like that that you know CBO said are factors. Of course, capital gains are up, although not as much this year with the market down. But um, some of that's explained. But the rest of it, they said CBO they cannot explain the rest of the strength in individual and uh, and corporate tax receipts. But in any case. I think what's really important to point out is Congress has not raised taxes, okay? There have been, there have been no tax increase. President Joe Biden and the, and the Democratic leadership, they came into office basically promising to raise taxes on the wealthiest Americans and, and the biggest corporations. And none of that has happened. But yet from just simply from July of 2021, when CBO's last baseline came out to this baseline that came out this week, the revenue forecast for the United States federal government over 10 years has increased by $3.4 trillion. So if you had told, if they had told us, David, you and I, uh, a year ago, that Congress was going to enact a $3.4 trillion tax increase, we probably would have laughed at, at, at whoever said that to us. Because, you know, even the Build Back Better bill and all of these things, none of those bills even contemplated anything close to raising taxes by $3.4 trillion.
0: It was roughly half that.
1: Yeah, less than half of it is really all they could muster, is really all they could get through, even with Democratic majorities in both chambers. And even that hasn't happened yet because the Build Back Better bill is still stalled. So it's probably going to end up smaller than that, even if they do rejuvenate the Build Back Better bill. So the point is, these so-called economic and technical factors that CBO looks at are just incredibly powerful. And they often just completely overwhelm any tinkering around the edges of tax policy that lawmakers do.
0: Which is stunning. I mean, it does yeah. show it does show how difficult it is to make these budget forecasts because they, you know, they come up with these 10-year plans and within six months they're usually out of date and, and, and almost moved because factors change so rapidly. Inflation alone, as you point out, Pete, I mean, it's been so much higher than anyone anticipated. And that has a huge effect on budget projections, right. right?
1: And yeah, and and so you know, so one of the things I did also is is what I li- I like to do is I, I like to go back and look at prior uh, baselines from from years earlier before major fiscal policy events uh, took uh, occurred. And so, I, in this case, I reround rewound the clock back to June 2017. This is before. So many. I mean, think about what's happened since June 2017. Just in in terms, obviously, around the world, many things have happened. But just in terms of fiscal policy, look at the events that have happened since June 2017. You had the landmark Republican tax tax overhaul in late 2017. You had um, several big budget deals in Congress, where which dramatically increased um, appropriated spending, discretionary spending. Uh, above what had, these tight limits that have been in place under the under the what we call the Budget and Control Act, so that's happened. You had obviously the pandemic hit, which was a major major you know not just a public health event but a fiscal event. You had five trillion go out the door to deal with with the pandemic, and of course you, you know things like the war in Ukraine have happened also. So there have been so many things that have happened now, despite the tax cuts in 2017. And also, there were a, additional tax cuts in subsequent legislation. They repealed several of the uh, Obamacare taxes, for instance, in 2019. So things like that have also happened. Uh, and then we had a, a, a recession, all, although a very brief one, with the pandemic or that you know took took tax receipts down. But um, if you go back and look at the 27, June 2017 budget baseline revenue. If you look at what actually happened, and 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 combine that with the CBO's latest forecast, revenues up 1.7 trillion, above what it, what the CBO estimated the government would collect in June 2017 over a 10-year period. So, if you just think of all of those things that have happened, the tax cuts that you know CBO at one point thought that they're going to cost close to two trillion. And, you know, I'm not saying this is not some, Some, some you know, we have the supporters of the tax cut law sometimes say, oh, tax cuts pay for themselves. That's not what this is about. That's not what we're saying here. What we're saying is there's so many factors, external factors that have nothing to do with anything necessarily that Congress is even doing that affect the CBO forecast. And so now here we are, the May 20, 2022 baseline says tax revenue is going to be 1.7 trillion dollars higher than it was than CBO thought it was going to be in June 2017 before the tax cut law passed. So
0: that is a stunning margin of error. Yeah. No, of course, <laughs> you know,
1: I, I, you know, should point out that it maybe it would have been much higher even than than CBO is currently forecasting if the ta- if the Republican tax law hadn't passed. Right. That's very possible, even probable. But this is just a, a way of saying that these things are just snapshots in time. They change constantly. And uh, and there's other things that are sort of, you know, the average person on the street would think are pretty weird about the CBO forecast. For example, when it comes to spending, I mean, so, you know, the reason why the budget picture has gotten worse overall is because of spending. Because, if you again, if you look at those tax receipts, they're way up. But it's the spending that has, that has been um, – you know, that has really out, outpaced the revenue, which is why we have greater deficits over the next 10 years than previously forecast. And again, that's because of things like the pandemic. That's because of the discretionary spending deals. War in Ukraine. I mean, these are things. And of course, the infrastructure law from last year, the five-year infrastructure law, which added about a little more than $800 billion in new spending. But the thing about CBO is what they have to do by law is they have to assume that all of these kind of temporary provisions, they all get baked into the baseline as if they're going to continue out into the future indefinitely, adjusted for inflation. So not all of that is realistic. You know, you have, none of us know how long the conflict in Ukraine is going to go on, but I think there's a sense that Congress is not necessarily going to be providing $50 billion a year to, to the, uh, uh, you know, contributing into foreign aid for the Ukraine uh, situation. Yeah, the infrastructure law, while extremely popular at the time, you know, I don't know if Congress is going to be able to muster that kind of support five years from now when that when that law is up for reauthorization. Are they going to inject another you know nine hundred to a trillion nine hundred billion to a trillion dollars into infrastructure uh, in the next five year bill? I'm not sure. You know, so there are really a lot of unknowns there. So CBO's spending forecast might actually be a little bit higher than uh, it might end up. On the other hand, we're dealing with expiration of those 2017 tax cuts in large part uh, at the end of 2025. And I think there's a, there's a broad expectation that large chunks of those tax cuts are going to be extended as well. So you know, at the end of the day, is, are, are the CBO's estimates going to change? Absolutely. But they're the best we've got right now. And they're probably pretty close to, you know, if you look at some of those offsetting factors, you know, they're, they're pretty good. They're a pretty reasonable snapshot of what we might see going down the road.
0: Yeah. But it does, it does suggest that the forecast as good as they are, this is no knock on them. These are very bright people compiling the, these, crunching these numbers, but as good as they are, they have to make those assumptions and, it just suggests that th- this is not actually a very reasonable forecast. It's probably not reasonable to assume that all these tax cuts are just going to expire and everyone's going to be hit with major tax increases. And yet that's what CBO by law has to assume, right?
1: Right. But I'm saying, yeah, but, but one of the things I'm, tra- I'm, I'm saying also is that I think there's some offsetting factors in there. I mean, you know, it may not be reasonable to assume that Congress is going to enact another, you know, eight, $900 billion infrastructure bill.
0: Right. In five years. That's the same thing on the spending side. Right. So
1: that, so spending could come down a little bit there. Right. But in terms of the tax revenue, I think it's a pretty safe assumption also that revenue is going to be lower than CBO is forecasting right now because I don't think anybody wants to see millions of lower to middle income households get hit with big tax increases starting in 2026 as is currently scheduled on, uh, uh, under current law.
0: Which just shows that these ten-year plans, these ten-year forecasts, should always be taken with a grain of salt because they're always unrealistic, and they're always changing and almost moot within six months. Uh, You know, and Congress does a new budget every year, so it it does. But I think what's important is is more is not the specific numbers because those are going to be wrong, but sort of the trajectory, the basic trends that we're seeing in fiscal pressures, right, over the coming decade that gives you some sense of where we're heading. And that's where I think their deficit projections are important because it does show these steadily increasing deficits year over year after this very temporary decline because all the pandemic aid spending has run out. But that's a short, very short-term phenomenon. But after that, we see steadily increasing deficits up to about $2 trillion a year in deficits at the end of the decade. Because of these huge structural imbalances we have in entitlement programs and rising interest payments, no matter what the actual numbers are, and that is going to change, that trend, I think, is real. And that's what this report shows pretty clearly, right?
1: Yeah. But well, I mean, what's important about deficits, really, is how they m- measure up in terms of the size of the overall economy the ability to, and the ability to finance those deficits, the absolute numbers, whether it's one trillion, two trillion, whatever it is, you know, they 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 make headlines, but they're really not all that important at at the end of the
0: day. And it also depends what interest rates will be to see how easily we can make those debt payments.
1: Yeah, that's what matters. And so right now, if you look at the change in the forecast from, and again, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the ta- with the tax cuts, whether you know how many of them, in what form they get extended. We know there's going to be something happening there. We know that some of these one-time spending items probably are going, to, are going to fall out of the baseline. So that'll have a little bit of an offsetting effect too. But anyway, putting all that aside, because that's the unknown right now, you look at debt as a percentage of GDP of gross domestic product, which is really the, 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 the best measurement we have of the fiscal picture from last Ju- last July to this week. In 10 years' time, that projection has gone from 106% of GDP to 107% of GDP. So you might say to yourself, "Oh, the debt's gotten gotten worse." But think about also what's happened: is that deficit over that 10-year time, we've seen the deficit forecast jump by 2.4 trillion over the over the 10-year period. So you've, you think to yourself, "Oh my, you know, wow." Deficits are going to be 2.4 trillion worse over those ten years, but yet, as a percentage of GDP, it's only gone from 106 percent to 107 percent. You might think, "Oh, well, that's a record. That's terrible," which is true. But if you think about GDP having grown substantially in the in the latest forecast, and you're right, the forecasts are going to change. But CBO is looking at the most available updated information they ha- they have right now with really really good people, so. Does it matter if it's 106% or 107% of GDP? I don't know. I mean, if you're a true purist budget hawk, you might think that's that's horrendous, that debt as a percentage of GDP just went up by one percentage point. But others might look at that and say, you know, that's a rounding error. So are uh, borrowers continuing to finance this debt? Yes. You know, I think that's where we are. You know, interest rate yields on, on treasury, on treasury debt have actually come down a little bit off their hot recent highs. So people are seeing with the U S fiscal picture and thinking, you know what, it's it's still safe to lend our money to these guys, despite what we're seeing with, with the budgetary picture. So that's really what matters now are, are the term spending pressures, uh, still evident going out, you know, 40, 50 years. Absolutely. You know, I mean, the, the problems with an aging population, the impact of that on the federal budget, and there's still no answer to uh, how you control healthcare costs in this country. These are deep-seated, long-standing issues that we've had for for decades now, and nobody has ever really come to the table and said, you know, they've, they've tried. There have been these sort of abortive efforts over the years to come together and say, oh, we've got to finally do something about. We gotta have a grand bargain on the on the deficit and debt and finally do something about these long-term spending pressures. And, you know, we gotta have new taxes to cut to pay for it and all these things. And they never happen. You know, it's just it there's like a flurry of activity every five years or so on that, and nothing really ever happens. So yeah, absolutely are we facing extreme long-term budget pressures. But, you know, I think some people might argue that look at Japan. Japan's got a worse debt long debt situation than we do both in the in the near term and the long term but yet they continue to have low interest rates
0: it's the eternal debate over how much debt is too much yeah and there's no there's no real answer to that and we don't know is the honest answer yeah.
1: now our interest payments you know g- scheduled to rise yeah i mean cbo says they're going to double as a percent of gdp over the next 10 years i mean we we've already seen interest rates go up from where they were uh, a year ago. And that's also factored into the CBO forecast. But again, going back to the June 17 forecast, if you if you remember, interest rate forecast used to be much higher than even they are today. So uh, if you just look at net interest payments on the debt over the 10-year period measured in June 2017, you compare that to what's actually happened in the latest forecast, interest payments on the debt are down over $800 billion. So it's actually contributed Positively, to the the uh, the the deficit picture when you compare what it, what we were looking at five years ago to what we're looking at today, but this is just a way of saying that while interest rates are high and rising right now, they're still well below kind of historical norms and what everybody thought they would be just five years ago. So you know it it is definitely a large and growing part of the federal budget, and you see all these you know groups out there saying in ten years. Interest payments on the debt are going to be more than the Department of Defense. Like, okay, fine. You know, we understand that. But at the end of the day, people continue to park their money from around the world in US treasuries. And that continues to be where we are. And the US government becoming a credit risk is, seen, is something that still seems far fetched to, uh, to most people out there.
0: Well, on that optimistic note, we are about out of time. But do check out Peter Cohn's analysis of of these CBO numbers because it is pretty fascinating. You can find that at CQ.com. Thanks again for being here, Pete. Thanks for having me again, David. And we will be taking a break from the podcast next week with Congress in recess, but we will return in two weeks. So stay tuned then, and we will see you in two weeks.